G'day folks and a big welcome to episode 26 of Heart of the Bookkeeper, a podcast that focuses on understanding who are bookkeepers and why they are for people who don't normally think about bookkeepers and bookkeeping normally, some of the most amazing people doing even more amazing things on a daily basis on this planet. This podcast is brought to you by the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers. Check us out if you are tuning in. You want to know more about the ICB and what it can do for you. Search us up in Google or simply go to www.icb.org.au and you will get a greater understanding of what this is all about. We've been recently hitting some incredible milestones for this podcast since we launched it back in the early days of a little thing called the pandemic. And we are very thankful for you tuning in to each episode and hearing from those who are out there making a difference every single day. We encourage you to support this show by giving us a rating in the app that you are possibly accessing and tuning into via right now. This helps us get our show out there further amongst the masses and continue to spread the fabulous story and stories of bookkeepers and bookkeeping. This episode is another fabulous journey and story to tell. Natalie Drazil is a bookkeeper who is based in Adelaide in South Australia and has had to overcome a fair bit, no, in fact, a lot of adversity to get to where she is today. I think many of you will resonate with Natalie's journey or at minimum gain so much and so many insights and a lot of pearls of wisdom through the adversity, sadly, that Natalie has been through. And I reckon, I believe this will assist you in your journey. Let's not steal any more of hearing from Natalie. Sit back now and enjoy this episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper. I love the opportunity to interview so many amazing bookkeepers around Australia and, uh, of course, we've been on that journey for for quite a while now on Heart of the Bookkeeper and I am thrilled to to bring yet another amazing bookkeeper into our conversation and into our podcast. And uh, Natalie Drazil, welcome to Heart of the Bookkeeper. And I guess the first thing I better ask you is, have I got that name right? Yes, you have. And thanks for having me on board, Rob. Really appreciate it. Always a nervous moment for for us guys who do this sort of gig to make sure we've got the name right. I meant to ask you that before we started, so <laughs> I'm glad I have got that right. And mm-hmm. if you don't mind, I'll, I'll probably uh, drift into calling you Nat, and I think we've agreed that bit's okay. So either way, very good. Let, let, let's kick off and just so we can kind of fill the listeners with a bit of an understanding of Natalie or Nat Drazil and uh, and what you do, what, the name of your bookkeeping business and give us a little bit of a, a, a bit of a summation, I guess, of, of the business that you run with bookkeeping. Okay. So my business is NJD Bookkeeping. I like to focus on sole traders, the mum and dad businesses, um, the ones who are really working hard in their business every day and they need that paperwork support, you know, they're not doing invoicing at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So that's where really I like to come in as well as I like doing the forensic side where if someone has let their bookkeeping go and they're in trouble, then of course I can come in and fix it all up for them. So um, that's my main focus. 
Um, I've been NJD bookkeeping since May 2019, so relatively small time in the bookkeeping world, but my background has been in finance for 30 plus years. So it's been a bit of a circle, but I've got here. So NJD, I'm guessing, is some initials that you've grabbed. It's not just randomly happens to be something, you know, connected. Um, it's my initials because I couldn't yeah. think of any other name. <laughs> uh, I gathered that, but uh, I, I was best to ask these oh. things, you know. Uh, some people have said to me from time to time, EBIS, what does that mean, you know? So uh, mm. and clearly, clearly not my initials, but um, we, we, uh, one of the things I am enjoying about doing the podcast is uh, obviously, the the people that we get on the podcast are the amazing things, but you know, some interesting names floating around in the bookkeeping circles of Australia, and mm-hmm. uh, a couple that I've sort of looked at and gone, hmm, I, I just I, I've got to find out a bit more about that. The name itself intrigues me. So uh, NJD, obviously, as you said primarily focused on uh, the smaller businesses. You haven't mm-hmm. been sort of tempted to expand that further and, and take on, you know, staff. We, we have this conversation with a lot of our our uh, guests about where they position themselves and we celebrate regardless where that is. Have, have you been tempted over the journey to grow it or are you happy with it in the space that you've got it right now? I'm very happy in the space I've got it right now. Um, staff bring other complications. I mean, they're also very good too, so for growing yeah. your business, but where I am in my life, um, and where I see myself over the next few years is that um, I'm quite happy where I am now working for myself. I like doing everything from the ground up because maybe that's a bit of a control freak thing. Um, <laughs> but at least I know that it's done in a way that I understand and I can explain it to a client and I know the end result is what I'm working for. So, yeah, and look, I think there's so many probably listening in right now going, yeah, that that's where they're at and I know, you know, and I've explained a little bit of my journey over the different episodes we've had and uh, sort of for me, I, I did struggle a bit even when I did have, you know, reasonably large numbers of staff, that control freak bit, I guess, you know, going, is that, you know, staff member doing what the way I would like it done, that sort of thing. So that can be challenging as you grow your business as to how you deal with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I must admit, at times I did find that somewhat of a struggle, uh, which which in itself creates some complications because then the staff member thinks you're, in inverted commas, the, the common term is micromanaging sometimes. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's like I said, I've said many times and we say as the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers, we celebrate bookkeepers whatever space level they find themselves at and uh, certainly in your case, uh, you've found that sweet spot, which is fantastic. Mm. Let, let's circle back a bit. You talked a little bit about, and, and I know a little bit about your background that may have actually contributed to where you find yourself right now, but let's circle back. First of all, where, where do you live and where did you grow up? Okay, always lived in Adelaide, South Australia. Um, haven't really wanted to shift. Um, thought about it a couple of times, but uh, no, quite happy being here. It's a great place to live in. With So uh, mum and dad come from Adelaide as well? Is, is yep. that their origins? Yep. So, And I note that um, when I say mum and dad, you've predominantly grown up with a stepdad, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, Ron. Yeah, Ron and, and mum is Jenny. That's so correct. what was their, what, what were the influences? And I, I have 
found out from you over the journey that they did both play a significant influence in you. How, how did that come about? What was, as a young girl, what were the things that they were doing that sort of has defined a lot of what you do now? Um, well, first of all, my stepfather's a Vietnam vet. Right. Um, and he's younger than my mum. So yep. I commend him, A, for taking on the responsibility of someone else's children. So I have an older brother. Um, he came into my life when I was five and um, he just took on, you know, put a roof over our head, you know, food on the table, clothes on our back and educated us. And what more could you ask of a, um, a man to do that? So for that, I'm very proud of him. Um, they've owned their own business, so they were LPG um, fitters, the second one here in Adelaide, so ran their own business for, I think, 12 or 14 years, could have been longer. Um, Dad designed parts for that, and I remember sitting in our lounge room putting um, the fill boxes together, so there where you, <laughs> you fill up with LPG on your car, putting them all together to ship around the countryside. And mum worked in the office and so when school holidays I'd go and replace mum in the office and work there. So that's that. And they worked hard for for what they did and uh, that's why they were living here in Adelaide. And then in 1990 they shifted over to the York Peninsula and they've okay. been living there ever since and, um, you know, sort of semi-retired over there for a while and now fully retired obviously. LPG just for... Our clients' sake, oh, clients, there I am slipping into bookkeeping mode, LPG just for our listeners' sake, being gas, I'm yes. guessing. I think that that's what, what it is here in WA. I'm assuming that's the same around Australia, yes. LPG gas. Yep. Um, do you look back now, we, we ask this question quite often of our guests, do you look back now and see some influences within that, you know, being part of a business that has defined what you're doing now, do you think? Oh, definitely. I think because, you know, they did everything back then. So we're talking back in the um, late 70s, 80s, there were no bookkeepers in the, the realm that they are today. Yeah. So mum went off and did a bookkeeping course, I think, through TAFE and uh, learnt how to do her own books. And, of course, it was all retrospective then because it was all manual. It was yes. all done in the good old green ledger books. <laughs> um, and then sent off to the accountant at the end of the year to do the profit loss and the balance sheet and tell them how much tax they had to pay. So, um, yeah, I think that's where I got a little bit of it. But originally, of course, I wanted to be a nurse and that was my be-all and end-all goal. Nothing was going to sway me for that and look where I've ended up. I guess I, I need to ask the question, what happened? Why did you end up in bookkeeping and not in nursing then? Um, I've got back issues. So I would have ended up in a wheelchair by lifting right. patients because I have would have been in the more manual side of things. So that was year 12. I found that out when I applied to go to nursing school and then had to change. So my mother, very nicely, I will say, decided that I should go and work in a bank and I could think of nothing more boring. Yeah. So to appease her, I did the interviews, but I used to throw the interviews so I would never get the job. Um, <laughs> did go obviously back to school and uh, went back to year 12 and did accounting there and fell in love with it really. Um, had a light bulb moment and all the numbers seemed to just go in the right place and do what they needed to do. And so then to business school, 
then to um, accounting firms and different size businesses doing different financy stuff um, and eventually decided after a couple of owning my own other businesses that I become a bookkeeper and focus on that pathway. It's funny when uh, when we have guests on the podcast, it not only brings back um, obviously memories for you explaining things to me, but it triggers memories in my own mind and, and I think that, that that happens with even our listeners as they're listening in. I'm just remembered and it's the sort of thing I had for, almost forgotten about and that is that I too uh, had the opportunity to take up a position in a bank. I was offered a job in a bank. Myself and a, a girl I'd been through um, school with both went for the same job with the Commonwealth Bank and I got offered the position and about 30 seconds after I got the phone call to say I'd been offered the position, my head went... I don't even really know if I want to do this. So I actually rang them back and said, thanks, but no thanks. They offered it to her and she went on to have an amazing career in the in the bank. So, uh, yeah, I think we've, got, we've been on a similar pathway there, Nat. Do you have re- any regrets that you weren't able to get into nursing, that thing that you sort of had a passion about? Or do you look back now and go, you know, that was where I was at at that time and, and the way things have worked out have been fine? Now, no. I have no regrets. At the time, it was a really bitter pill to swallow, Yeah. to be perfectly honest. I really struggled with the fact that my main focus for all my childhood was going to be a nurse and I couldn't fulfil that dream. Um, so, yes, that it took a little while to get over. I think once I managed to change my career and find something else that I really, really love just as much as nursing, then... Um, that took that side of it away and I could actually focus on, you know, where I needed to go in my life. I'm a great believer in the universe provides and you are meant to be where you are at the time because that's the right time for you. So I was obviously not meant to be a nurse and that's okay. Yeah, and... Again, I think we're celebrating the fact that you landed in bookkeeping because uh, clearly you've done some amazing things and I'm sure many of your clients listening in, I hope they will listen in, uh, going, yeah, well, I'm I'm sad you didn't end up in nursing, Nat, but uh, we're glad that you ended up in bookkeeping. Tell us a little bit more about how things evolved once you'd got past the point of uh, not going into the job in the bank. Is that about the time you met Alan, your partner? Is that... Um, no, probably that was still before. So I did business college and had a bowl there and then went and worked for, um, I think it was at the time called AGC Credit Line, worked for them for a couple of years. And then in between that time is when I met, um, my now husband. So I met him in, um, 85 and we got married in 87. Yep. And, uh, yeah, been together ever since. So I'm going to throw a curly at you. I um, I recently got interviewed myself on a podcast and uh, I got asked the question which completely blindsided me, so I'm, I hope I'm not doing the same to you, but I was asked the question, when did you get married? And in our case, it was in 1989, so I noticed around about the same time as you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question that was thrown at me was, what was your wife wearing? <laughs> and I've come out with a white wedding dress. (laughs) That's the best. And the interviewer went, well, no, I was thinking more, you know, beading or neckline or something along those sort of lines. So I'm going to spin it on a a woman in this case. What was Alan wearing back in 1987 at the wedding? Do you remember? Yes, I do. He was in a grey tails. Oh, nice. 
Yes. With white shirt and a burgundy cumberbund. So oh, burgundy Alan. tie. Yeah, yeah, the 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 cummerbund that was the go back then, wasn't it? it? Yes, was. absolutely. And the top hat, well done, Alan. The, mm-hmm. you, thumbs up on that one already. Went on to have a couple of kids together. You want to tell us a little bit about uh, the journey there? Yeah. So um, in '92 we had Jason, and then in '96 we had Adam. So Jason is 31 now, and Adam is 27, and they both live in Queensland. So you get to get to travel up there a bit. Yes. This is the bit I wanted to, to, to talk to you about and it is a little bit perhaps sensitive but I know this is really defined some of your journey and some of the, the, the challenges that you've had and that is that uh, I am aware that both your boys had, had some real struggles with depression and, mm-hmm. and certainly uh, really challenged obviously not only them but you and Alan as the parents. Do you want to describe, because I'm guessing at that stage you're also just starting to try and work through your career and your development of your career. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how that unfolded? Um, it sort of unfolded pretty much all at the same time, unfortunately. So I had, we'd been away to uh, Europe in 2012 with my younger son's school to do a World War One tour. And a couple of months after we came back from there, we found that he had been self-harming. So I went down the path of psychology assistance, which I have to say for when your child turns 16, you are not allowed to be part of any of those, um, um, you know, interviews or anything really. It's very hard. So that was a real struggle. It affected my older lad who got led astray down the wrong path and eventually ended up in court. Um, luckily, he was put on suspended sentence. So, and that has had ramifications even to this very day. So, yeah, it certainly gave us a few grey hairs. And, um, of course, in, and of course, at the same time, my husband was going through depression too through work. So it was a real snowball effect and it was very hard to keep it all together. Um, but we got there, you know, as I say, teenage boys, hardest time is is teenage years. It really is. But you do get there. And um, the main thing I would say for anyone struggling with any teenagers is be there for them. Always know that you are there. Yeah. Because even though as a parent we worry an awful lot, and we do, in the end the child has to work it out but know he's got that support, he or her, doesn't matter who it is, yeah. They've got that support behind them from their parents that they're always there. So, yep. and look, to be perfectly honest, I will say that when my son did the self-harming, I actually found that really hard to deal with and I actually had to take a step back for a while and allow my husband to deal with it because it was there's just been too many things happening and it was that one final thing for me that I had to look after me to then be able to look after him. Yeah. So... Yeah. That would be thing if you've got any kids with problems is just make sure that you're there for them, but also look after your own mental health as well um, yep. because it is a long haul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Alan's journey, uh, that's that's ongoing from what I understand and he's, he's, he's trying to work through that as well. He, he um, His journey is more because of 
of the way he'd been treated at a job. Right. And so, of course, again, at a particular age, when you're trying to find work um, and it's not coming through, you do suffer. And so it's been a snowball effect on there. So you just have to be very careful and be very mindful of where he is and look at signals and stuff. So, yeah, it's it hasn't been an easy few years, I have to say. And, of course, in between that, trying to run my previous business as well as and then run this one as well. So, yeah, it's been interesting, I have to say. We'll circle back to the previous business in a moment, but mm-hmm. um, you also need to throw in, obviously, as we all have, the, the, a little thing called a pandemic in the in the midst of all of that as well, which has been challenging in, in so many other ways. Mm. How, through all of that, how have you managed your bookkeeping business? I I'm, I'm guess I'm asking this because I'm cognizant of the fact that there, there's there's probably a lot of listeners listening in right now who may be in a situation where they're challenged and it may not be necessarily the same challenge as you, but they've got some family challenges within their environment. Were there ways that you found, you mentioned you pulled back in some instances, was that the the best result, do you think, from your perspective? Um, Yes, I think so. The pandemic was more, I had to be mindful of my kid, like one of my Kids lost their job twice in the pandemic. Um, the other one sort of had a job and was sort of supported, but was not happy. Um, and then my husband was working from home, which he really, really struggled with. Like a lot of people did. It's I think it's very hard to come out of an office situation with people around you and just be home. So, um, yeah, you're just there for everyone. Client-wise, I have to say, my clients actually did Okay. They were, they were in industries that um, could still keep functioning and everything else. I had one who was mostly affected, but unfortunately he sort of was in between the cracks of all the support and yeah. still feeling the effects of that today. But the rest of my clients are fine and didn't really suffer too badly. So I was very lucky actually in that respect and so were they. And you, and you were able to continue working alongside them during some of those issues around mm-hmm. uh, with your with your kids and stuff like that. You yeah. managed to be able to manage that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's you know an un, unestimated challenge that especially uh, sole practitioner bookkeepers face, and that is that they're trying to quite often not only balance the needs of their clients but balance the the challenges, the needs of their family as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'll never lose wanting to call that out. We've we've had a number of guests on the podcast in the past that have had, you know, similar type challenges, might not be the same challenges, but similar type challenges and have had to find a way to ensure that they're still maintaining their work alongside their clients. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think, you know, for those who don't know bookkeepers, that's a challenge that... <laughs> is amazing, really, mm. and that's why I keep calling it out. So clearly that's the, the journey you've been on. You mentioned about mm. a previous business. Now, tell I, I've got a little bit of an understanding. We had an, um, a bit of a conversation earlier. You, you, you've got a number of passions, and we'll dig into those a little bit more later, but one of them is ballroom dancing, I believe. Is that right? And that yep. actually led to a business. Do you want to describe how that evolved? Okay, so back in, I've got to think what year it is now, 2015. Um, because I love ballroom dancing, but I can't wear high heels, really okay. high heels. I can't, Be- just not possible. Because so, of your back or? Ba- oh, your back and my feet. 
Um, so I was looking around for shoes that had a lower heel and they were all black. No colours, no red, no purple, no blue, nothing. So I went, hmm. So I went down the road of investigating how I could make, have Borum Dutch shoes made that were good quality because they have to be very good quality and they have to support your foot um, and ended up with Anya Dance. So imported in from overseas and uh, started retail and I did that for seven years until I sold the business two years ago. So you actually created a business out of that, that's yes. what you're saying? Yeah, right, yes. okay. What, a shop front or was it an online store or online. what did you have? All online, yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow, how to, how to take a passion and take that to a whole different degree. Um, Absolutely. You should see my shoe collection. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, I keep circling back to my wife. She, um, she's she got a pretty impressive shoe collection herself and she's pretty proud to call that one out as well. A lot, mm-hmm. lot, of, red, lot of red in there, I'll just say. So um, the ballroom dancing side of things, is that that continued, like as in your your passion for ballroom dancing. Uh, <laughs> I'll just call it out. I guess we've just seen uh, Dancing with the Stars, you know, mm-hmm. uh, appear again. Are you, is that is that something you're still into? I'm not into it as much at the moment. COVID actually cancelled all of that, unfortunately, because yep. we weren't allowed to dance. But when I get the opportunity, we'll go out dancing. So as much as we can, we've just uh, tried to settle back into a routine of hubby going back to work and um, just sort of settle ourselves down. And our kids have interfered a little bit, shouldn't say that, wrong words, but they've interfered (laughs) in the sense that, you know, they've shifted to Queensland in the last, like um, Jason went two years ago in the middle of COVID, Adam went this year. So it's sort of been monitoring all them and helping them as well and, and then focusing when we could dance is finding places to go back to dance. So, but I think next year I'd like to go back to lessons again and be more regular. Um, Just got to have life settle down just a little bit. And and get those non-high heel shoes happening again, I'm guessing. Absolutely. They're itching to get out the drawer. So so what are they called again? I I, I missed that. So my business was called Anya Dance. So it's A-N-J-A and again... Alan, Natalie, Jason, and Adam. Ah, nice, nice use of. And these are specific shoes for those who can't wear the high, the stilettos or the high heel shoes. Is that right? They're gorgeous looking shoes, just with a lower heel. So you right. can have a little one half inch heel or a two inch heel, and it just makes it a lot more comfortable after you know four or five four or five hours of dancing. <laughs> and and I'll just qu- qualify clearly not asking for myself, asking for a friend. Uh, <laughs> Probably my wife, maybe. I don't know, although she does uh, like to rock a, a nice pair of high heel shoes. Mm-hmm. And I'll just call it out as well. That darn dancing with the stars, I mean, every time that comes on, you know, I get the look across the other side of the room. Come on, we're going to go and do some ballroom dancing, you know, lessons. And I'm, okay, all right, yeah. I must admit, I, I'm, I'm up for it. I think we had a pre, no, not I think, we had a previous um uh, episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper with Carmen Morris, and she too is right into ballroom dancing. Was uh, spending a fair bit of the episode trying to inspire me to get involved in ballroom dancing. I'll, I'll continue to dance. It's generally down the wicket as I try and hit a six back over the bowler's head. But uh, you've got to understand cricket to know where that one's going. But we'll Sorry. move on because yeah, you're in, you're onto that one as well. Yeah. <laughs> you you there's a number of things we we obviously enjoy hearing the journey of, of somebody coming into their bookkeeping 
world and the the processes that you've already explained that NJD uh, are doing. You've mentioned to me before you were involved in a in an employed scenario um, where some bullying occurred and sort of did kind of lead you to where you are now. Do you want to explain a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I work for a very large company here in Adelaide and had been there for quite some time. Um, they changed name and culture changed almost overnight. My boss that I had who I'd worked with for about five years was all of a sudden sacked um, and then a new boss came in and basically from day one I was targeted. Right. So no matter what I did, it was never good enough. Mm. Um, even though what I had been doing and was still doing was exactly the same what I'd done for the previous five-odd years. So they, the company changed focus on where, on who they wanted in the company and I was one of about a 1,000 people that were eventually either made redundant or um, pushed out, I would say. Um, my husband also worked for the same company too and that's part of where his depression comes in is the way he was treated by management and unfortunately made redundant on his 50th birthday. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah, well, clearly some uh, sensitivities there from that company. Well done. Mm. Uh, we, won't, we won't mention names for uh, legal reasons perhaps, but... No. Uh, yeah, that's pretty average. Um, in some ways, was that your moment to go, well, I'm not going to go down that pathway again and I'm not going to, you know, experience, put myself through that sort of experience. Was that the moment you went, NJD is the way to go? Um, no, I had just um, started up Arnie Dance, so I was able to focus on that, even though I do have to say I don't remember the first eight months yeah. of the time after all that finished. Um, what is that has, because of the trauma of, yeah. of what you've been through? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I have actually gone back to work for people for various reasons. Husband's been out of work, so I've gone and got a job. Um, but I find it very difficult to work for other people. I really do. I think it's more the, the trauma that you're going to be targeted again. So yep. I'd rather work for me. Yes. Yep. What were the drivers that made you think I need to move on from selling dance shoes to go into bookkeeping? Was there a moment there that you can recall that sort of drove that? No, I've always loved doing books. I've always loved knowing that everything balances and knowing exactly having your own business and even with mum and dad, you know, have to know where everything is and so you can make decisions. As I said, back to mum and dad's time, it was all retrospective because yeah. nothing was really done till the end of the year. If you had money in the bank, great, you had money in the bank. But nowadays it's more on a daily basis and I think that's where I like to know what's going on. Maybe it's a bit nosy, don't know. Um, <laughs> but I like to know that everything is in order yeah. and I think that's the one of the strengths of a bookkeeper is that we like things to be in order yeah. and know where everything, it's all in the right place and you can see your figures and you can make decisions based on those figures. So I don't think there was a defining moment. It's just something that I fell in love with at high school um, and 
have always worked in some area of finance, it was sort of, well, let's go down this pathway and and see how I go. And I love doing the, the study, absolutely love the study. So it took me a couple of years but because it was part-time, but I love doing the study. And, and I note you, that continues to this day. A lot of our listeners, obviously, being bookkeepers, um, do from time to time consider what do I need to do next to advance yeah. myself or what should I do to challenge myself beyond what I'm already doing and, and knowing. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're currently, I won't uh, lead you too much, but you're currently doing some extra studies. Do you want to explain about that and, and again, what the driver is for that? So I'm studying Diploma of Tax and Accounting. Um, it probably actually relates back to the account, two accountants that I worked for many years ago now. One of them was doing tax returns. It was called at-home taxation services. And the uh, accountants would go out and fill in the tax returns there and come back and I would top them up, etc. And I just loved all that part of it. So... Now, just to improve and gain some extra knowledge, um, which is not a bad thing, is I've decided to take on this Diploma of Tax and Accounting. And um, it's not easy, I have to say. It's actually quite intense. Um, but I'm enjoying it to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you could give somebody who's pondering that right now some advice, you, you're finding that, you know, so far, you're not there yet, but you're finding that um, fulfilling. Yes, I have to say that if you wanted to go and do it, you've got to dedicate your time to it. Yeah. It's the one thing that probably I've struggled with working full-time and trying to find study time is uh, the most difficult. The law side of the subjects is amazing. Um, so much stuff that I did learn and even um, the current subject is quite intense of all the different types of of offsets and rebates and every little thing you can claim and why you can claim it and why you can't claim it. From that point of view, the knowledge is fantastic. So if you're thinking to improve, yeah, go ahead and do it. It's it's not a bad course. I think, I think the call out you've made, and I have talked to others about this, and again, reflecting on my own journey, I attempted to do a similar diploma a few years ago the time allocation seems to be commonly the one that you really need to if you are listening to this and you're weighing up whether you should go down that pathway or not. I think that's the almost the number one thing. I think for most bookkeepers, uh, the fulfilling and challenging bit of learning comes naturally in a lot of cases. And time allocation usually is something that bookkeepers do really well as also. But if you're trying to sort of balance that with running a practice or a, a bookkeeping business at the same time, that's something before you kind of sign up, you need to sit down and almost go, I am going to dedicate two days a week, one day a week, mm. you know, I'm going to have to tell my clients that I'm not available on these days or whatever it may be to be able to to achieve. Is that sort of where you think yeah, is the way to go? Yes, and that's exactly what I have done is dedicated two days a week to it. It's just in this six weeks of bass that I tend to, it tends to go by the wayside. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, because you're just trying to focus on getting everyone's bass done and then I know once that's done, I've got my two days back. So yeah. it is an 18-month course um, yeah. but it's going to take me two years to do. Yeah. And, and that's okay. 
That is okay. Yeah, it's not like you're in a hurry or you've got a deadline that you have to meet or whatever. So if you can achieve that, that's great. And I think that's another aspect of it. Again, just tapping into those who may be thinking of doing something like this at the moment is don't put the pressure on yourself to do it in an unreasonable time frame. Um, Because again, you've called out beautifully the fact that we work in a an industry that doesn't necessarily allow us to be able to say we're blocking out X amount of time for two years or whatever because we have all these deadlines that clients uh, have to we have to meet. And uh, so you have to be cognizant of that. I suppose the thing that I would recommend is you need to map out your whole journey in advance and if you can stick with that, then you'll probably or most likely succeed in in, in achieving those uh, study results. So I think I've, I've, I've I tapped into that because I know so many have, you know, flirted with the idea, unsure how to tackle it. So your experience there, Nat, is, is really good, really gold for us to be able to collect and understand. Oh, thank you. I, I'm fascinated to sort of just reflect a, a little bit more on, on your journey, I know you've also, you know, and it maybe is meeting a little bit of the, the nurse still inside you. You've had a lot of involvement with St John Ambulance over the, the journey. Uh, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that as well? Well, I joined St John because, of course, wanting to be a nurse, I felt it would be good skills to have. Um, so I was a cadet at 12 and our St John Centre was a 10-minute walk from home, which was really good. Um Went through cadets right up through to seniors and that's where I met Alan at a first aid course and uh, sort of in my sight, it was love at first sight. Um, now, now I'm going to interrupt at this point because I know a little bit of a side story with this one and it involves a resuscitation dummy. Yeah. Tell us a little, little bit about the resuscitation dummy. Okay. Um, when Alan first came to the St John Centre, it was to do a first aid course and my station was resuscitation. So, of course, as people moved around, you had to teach resuscitation. Well, I'd rather replace the dummy with Alan. <laughs> that, was, that was it. Not, and, of course, we're not calling out that you're suggesting Alan is a dummy, but no. um, we're, we're uh, probably uh, calling out the other aspects of what you might kind of do with the resuscitation dummy, I suppose. Yeah, I'll leave that one to everyone's imagination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you. Um, I mean, St John Ambulance, uh, I've had my own experiences of using St John Ambulance, um, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, uh, amazing organisation and obviously one of those things that you, you enjoy giving back to and will probably continue to do while you can, I'm guessing. I did stop it. Um, in my early 20s when I shifted to where I live now and then having children and everything else, it was just not possible to continue it. And my back issues play a lot with it as well. So, um, and St John has changed from when I joined. Like I was a volunteer, the good old black and white, you know, uniforms. It's now totally different and um, it's probably not, I've gone past that need for nursing and that, you know, I still care obviously but that side of things, I don't need that anymore. So, and I'll leave that up to the professionals and, you know, the extra training that they do. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, a great yeah. bunch. They are. They're amazing. And, again, yeah. probably another 
industry, you could say, not too dissimilar from bookkeeping that quite often is is unheralded and yeah. un, under, understated yeah. um, and perform an amazing service to all of us across Australia. And like I say, I've had a little bit of experience using a St John ambulance uh, scenario that um, I'll, I'll be thankful for. Um, we are drawing towards the end, but I want to sort of finish in a moment with where you see Natalie Drazil going into the, the years ahead. But uh, I have, I think it's really important that we capture um, some of the, maybe you might say, different aspects of, of, of Nat and uh, what, what her loves are and her passions are. So I have a little thing called the subsidiary ledger where I sort of tangent off from what we've been talking about to a, a few things just to give the, our listeners a bit of a, an insight into into Natalie and what, what she's on. Uh, not, not, well, not what she's on. We don't really <laughs> want to know what you're on, Natalie, but uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, what, uh, what stokes your fire, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I've got a couple of questions here. These were quite often a little, a little bit challenging for our listeners, but we'll see how you go. So the first question I've got for you is, and I like this one, I haven't, I don't think I've, I've run this one before, but we're going to imagine you're marooned on an island alone. Other than a mobile phone, what is the one item that Natalie Drazil would absolutely need to have with her on that island? If she could have one thing, what would it be? Can't be a mobile phone, can be anything else. A box of matches. A (laughs) box. Yeah, and I'm straight up picking up on the uh, the practicalities of Natalie Drazil. You've thought that one through in a minute. I was thinking, you know, hairdryer or lipstick or something, that nah, box and matches. Yeah, of course, cool, you've got to survive. So, uh, yeah, love that answer. Well done. Yep, tick for that one straight up. You and I did enjoy uh, earlier this year a, a brief meal together at a pub after uh, summit, uh, what what's the go-to meal for Natalie Drazil when you go to the pub? I don't, I don't actually recall what you had. You know, I'm I'm, I'm a, a steak and chips guy. Uh, what what's the go-to for you at a pub? Oh, that's interesting. Mm, um, probably food always. Food always conjures up some, yeah, some interesting things. So we're going the chicken snitty, did you say? Is that what we're going with? Yeah, I think a chicken schnitzel or if it's winter time and it's on the menu, it would be um, liver. Liver? I know. Okay. That one's. Yeah, no, that one's caught me offside. Liver, okay, no, we've got to have, uh, please explain on that one. What's what, liver? Does that come from growing up and yeah. eating liver? Yeah, and you're an, you're an enjoyer of liver, obviously. Yeah. Liver yeah. and onions and bacon and gravy. Awesome. Right. Mashed potato, wonderful. Oh. Okay, that's almost like pineapple on a pizza. You know, I'm going to throw it out there. Uh, how many listeners uh, would put liver at the top of their list of fave foods to have on a cold winter's night? So there you go. That, that one caught me off guard. <laughs> All right, very simple one, this one. Cat mm-hmm. person or dog person? Cat person. Definitely a cat person. Absolutely. Okay. What do we got? We've got a couple of tabbies running around or? A uh, black and white one called Sparkles and Sparkles. a tabby called Florence. Florence, oh, nice. Okay, yeah. Always been a cat person or you've evolved into being a cat person? No, always been a cat person. Yeah, absolutely. Tried a dog for four days, found out the son was allergic to it. All right. (laughs) Well, probably a very good reason to flip back to being a cat person. There you go. Yep. Absolutely. Last one, last question before we do have a little chat about where, where you see yourself going 
into the bookkeeping future, what is your favourite thing? You mentioned about the fact that you discovered a little bit about your love for bookkeeping in your parents' business back in the day and then doing a little bit at high school, which we sadly don't see enough of anymore, uh, our era, and we're of a similar era, I'm guessing that. You know, we did have the option to do bookkeeping at high school. Uh, That doesn't seem to be quite there. And that's something we are working on in the background, the ICB, to try and get that back into schools. Um, What is is the favourite thing? Uh, Every bookkeeper listening in now probably has a process or something they do in bookkeeping that just go, they just want to sit back and go, ah, now I can have a, a, a red wine because you just love doing that. What's the what's an aspect of bookkeeping that just really ticks your box? Everything balances. Everything balances, yeah. Yep. So from my bank reconciliations to the activity statement and making sure that everything's in the correct tax codes, that the profit loss is correct, the figures there to what's in the balance sheet. Yep, absolutely. It all balances and I go, yep, I've, I've done my job. I, I reckon you've got about four or 500 amen <laughs> sisters going on right now as they listen in and go, yes, the, the balancing bit is clearly in the bookkeeper's DNA. You just get that moment of excitement. Or I remember talking to somebody who's not a bookkeeper saying, well, what is it about you bookkeepers getting such joy out of getting a bank, you know, wreck to reconcile? I go, it's just just what we do, you know. It's a, a different different uh, things float different people's boats and that's one for bookkeepers. So I think you've nailed it, Nat. I agree with that. And also, too, my star sign is the scales. I'm a liberal, so I have to balance. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fair enough. To finish off with, where do you see NJD bookkeeping going? Um, you, you, you're happily ticking along. We talked about the fact that you haven't to now been attracted to growing it out. You're just happy to keep NJD where it's at and is that the way you'll see uh, Natalie Drazil seeing her days out in bookkeeping at this stage? Obviously noting that things do change, of course. Yeah, I think so. Um, I do have an end date in mind. Um, yep. Like, you know, we say to our clients, you know, what's your exit plan? Yes. I may not have an exit plan, but I have an exit age. Yeah. So yep. what age I've decided that, no, I've had enough. So um, it's not that far down the track, actually. It's probably about three or four years. Yep, yep. And and, and again, well, I reckon we've probably got a, a number of listeners tuning in who are weighing that up right mm-hmm. now. Um is there any reasoning other than age or is it a, a, a sense of I've done all I can do and I, I just don't want to go to, you know, any more levels? Is that the driver? No, actually it's the compliance. It's the yeah. continual changing of what we have to know and the compliance that we're expected to have. The clients get a little bit sick of the constant, I would say, and I tell my clients I nag, um, <laughs> the nagging for them to sign stuff, to approve stuff from the ATO perspective of what we have to know. And then, of course, we have that difficulty with account some accountants, not all accountants, where they don't have to do the same or don't understand why we do what we do. And I just think in the next four years it's going to get harder and harder and harder. And, I've, you know, I will be over 60 by this stage and yep. I think, nah, that's enough for me. You talked about, you know, 
us having an inert ability or need to balance the books, in some ways that's just balancing your life, isn't it? Oh. I mean, you, you reach a point where you say, and I'm not suggesting that you're saying that you've climbed your mountain, but certainly you reach a point where you say the next phases of what are unfolding are probably not for me yes. and I, I'm, I'm looking to, to draw a line in the sand. So, again, you know, I... First of all, congratulations that you're already thinking that through and I think that's really important for anybody tuning in right now. You do need, we talk to our clients regularly about exit plans and yet we sometimes don't think about that for ourselves and you clearly have. Mm. Um, and different things come along that may change that down the track. You don't, well, none of us know that, but uh, mm. you at least have an understanding of where you're headed and why you're heading in that direction and that in itself can bring about peace and can bring about uh, a fuller richness of understanding of, of oneself, I think. So congratulations. Well done. Thank you. At three or four years is still a lot that you can achieve. And I'm sure, again, if your clients, some of your clients are tuning in right now, they're going, oh, hoping we can extend that out a few more years beyond that, Nat, but uh, <laughs> we'll let them drive that conversation with you. Exactly. Um, it's been been an absolute joy to have you joining us today on Heart of the Bookkeeper. Wonderful journey that you've been on. I, I love. I want to say I, I love the fact that you know we. I think there's a little bit of um, stigma sometimes about step parents, and yet you not only with what you said earlier, but some things that you've said to me and, and written to me in the preamble of this, you clearly had a real have a real affinity with your stepfather and what he yeah. did and what he's achieved and. Sounds to me like he's the type who uh, would have an amazing story to tell, having been through Vietnam as well. Um, yes. But um, congratulations on calling that out because I think there, there tends to be stigma about step-parents and obviously your stepfather mm. uh, has played a really important part in your growing up. Certainly um, has. Yeah, so a, a call out to Ron, yes. uh, the, the stepdad and your mum, of course, and, and we wish them well in there retirement uh, mm. down on the peninsula. Um, yes. Yeah, well, mum's 83 and dad's 76. Wow. Okay. Bye. Plenty plenty of living still to go there, I reckon. So Absolutely. A, a shout out to them. Natalie Drezil, thank you again for joining us today on Heart of the Bookkeeper. We wish you and NJD Bookkeeping all the very best moving forward and uh, uh, we hope that we won't. this won't be the last we'll hear from Natalie Drezil. I'll try and make sure it's not. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll no doubt enjoy a nice chicken snitty. I'm not sure I'll be going the liver though okay. uh, if we go to the pub, but uh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> we'll enjoy one of those someday soon. So thanks again, Nat. No worries. Thanks, Rob, for having me. It's been a joy. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you again, Natalie, for sharing your journey with us in this episode. A journey that has clearly been very tough for you at times throughout the years. And yet we are so glad that you and your boys are in a great space right now and we continue to wish all the very best for you and your family moving forward. Hmm, not sure though that I'll be rushing out to order the liver when we next enjoy a pub meal together, Nat. But hey, if liver does it for you, who am I to stand in the way of that? And for those tuning in today to this episode, Please, please give us a rating if you are enjoying the show. We are so very thankful to you because without you, it's a pretty lonely place in podcasting world. We look forward to you joining us again next time on Heart of the Bookkeeper. And remember, 
always, we love your heart.